the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. Delighted to bring back Congressman David Schweiker, representing Arizona's 1st Congressional District and uh, a lot of fiscal and other sanity when he's in Washington, D.C. I hope you had a good holiday, David. Thanks for being with us, by the way. It has been wonderful to torment the children. Um, uh, it just had a lot of fun. The, the torturing has, has begun. Has it ended? <laughs> no, no. Remember, the tormenting mostly is them chasing me around oh so. oh oh i i gotcha i gotcha okay this is uh this is how you uh this is how you get your exercise david i wanted to run a couple things through you there was an interesting i don't know if you saw it editorial in the new york times on america now living on borrowed money i want to run that by you in a moment but before i do this is interesting because you and i sometimes talk about uh trust and <clears throat> trust in our institutions and trust in government you tweeted um uh, you tweeted, it's been nearly 60 years since JFK was assassinated, and yet there are still records kept hidden from the American people. That's why I, meaning you, introduced the Justice for Kennedy Act, requiring all assassination records be unclassified and unredacted. Yeah. What could they, po- who could, who could even still possibly be alive that they would be worried well, about at this point? In, in, look, it, a few months ago, um, I dropped a piece of legislation that basically said, look, um, it's 60-plus years. You've got to release the information. It, just very curious, because even President Trump, um, President Obama, even the very beginning of President Biden, they sat on you know, 10% of the information, and um, the Biden administration just a little while ago announced that, hey, we're going to release all of it except for about 1% of yeah, the documents. right. But, you know, if there's a few hundred thousand pages of documents, right. 1% is a lot of yeah. documents. Yeah, yeah. So I still don't think it's good enough. But we're trying to to dig up saying what's being held back. And, and here's the reason. It's not that uh, I'm a conspiratorial guy. I just believe unless you have an honest and open government, how do you ever believe in institutions? That's right. That's the point. It builds the cynicism, and it does build conspiracy theory. It does. Yeah. And look, if, if there's something evil or really dodgy it was done, um, take the lumps. Tell the truth. Um, and whoever didn't isn't alive. But I can't imagine. Of, They'd have to be—I mean, they would have had to have been 20 at the time or something. They'd be in their well, 80s by now, if at all. But part of my theory, this even goes to COVID, it goes yes. to so many yes. things, right. where the arrogance of the government class is they, they think there's something special. Yeah. And if you make a mistake, well, don't admit it, right. just, just, keep, cause just keep standing behind what you said, even though, you know, in the COVID's case, we learned. Yep. You know, what we thought today turned out to be different tomorrow, and the willingness to send them say, hey, you remember what I told you yesterday? We're wrong. It's, well, and it, yeah, this, go ahead. In this case, it, it's sort of that same theme of, hey, um, here's 
was the paranoia at the time. Here was the fear of Cuba. Here's the fear of you know, Soviet Union. Here's what we saw happening. Here's what they did or didn't do. And and we're seeing this in lots of things that are released by the archives. Sure. That um, you, know, you learn things saying, okay, that's why they did it. They had this piece of information. That was completely wrong. It's, so. yeah, and the thing, I mean, there's so much to say, but I, don't, I won't take all your time on this, but just when you think about what we know from that era, I mean, we know almost, every, we have done a good job as a as a country with history and research in, in, in learning a lot of things that are maybe unpleasant about people from the 60s, including, sad to say, presidents, FBI directors, the CIA. One just wonders... What could possibly be left that they're trying to protect? We have we have we have unmasked all these people's uh, all these people from their pedestals. I, I it it just it betrays it beggars belief. That's all. Yep. So it, it's just part of my um, fixation that you need a society, particularly if it's going to be a self governing society. Yeah. You have to have some institutions that hold respect. You know, and it, 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 whether it be the church, whether it be education, whether it be parts of your government. And right now, um, if you see the survey data, yeah. there's almost no faith in right. anything right. in our lives. No, it's, it's not good. Uh, and, and we've, we've done a real good job of running down heroes that does, that don't deserve to be run down, uh, in that process because we're just, we, we like to, we like to destroy. We, we like to be iconoclasts here. That's a very powerful point. Is cowboys, um, police, ast- space, firemen, uh, cops, and robbers. I mean, just the kinds of things kids would naturally play in esteem to be. We have destroyed all of it. You know, the fastest way to be viciously attacked is have someone say something nice about you. I guess. I mean, but look at my world <laughs> of politics. Um, okay, we make mistakes, but we also some, you know work our hearts out, and sometimes we get things actually done. And as soon as you do, that's when the troll army unleashes. Particularly for uh, on the left, they can't allow, particularly a Republican or a conservative, to ever actually have a win. Yeah. So even when you do something good, you will be destroyed for it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's right. And you've seen this. I don't know if you've had a chance to kind of look at some of the stories about this case out of the federal district court, Missouri versus Biden, about the government censorship. Uh, during COVID that was just a landmark ruling uh, today about all the things the government did to censor. I, I, know, yeah. I know a little yeah, bit yeah, more yeah, about yeah, it, yeah. only because Jeff Landry, mm-hmm. who's one of the um, the Attorney General of Louisiana, right, right. is a buddy of mine. Oh, good. Um, he served in Congress. Good. Now, when he gets going, he has the Cajun accent. He uh-huh. gets a little hard to listen. But he was talking about this for the last couple of years, yeah. that he could not believe yeah. how many professors, right. experts, yep. even wanted to actually set up and say, okay, we have a new data set yep. that does something different, yep. and they were shut down. Yep, absolutely. And they were shut down by government using its threats and its intimidation on the channels of information. Right. That's unconstitutional. And it would have saved lives had that information been out, because we now learned that a lot of the things we were told by the government just weren't true. Some negligently not true, but some deliberately not true. And what's that's another added element to why people may have less and less trust. And what's interesting about that, David, is the institution of the media. The media are going around today, most of the media, not 
places like the New York Post or what have you. But most of the media are going around today saying this is a horrible decision. We think the government should be able to police misinformation, which is nothing the media ever stood for until about five minutes and ago. Now you understand why there's no faith, yeah, particularly in traditional mainstream media. Right. Because they haven't earned it. That's right. The, the willingness to create discomfort for the people they support. And let's be honest, um, you know, pick up any mainstream publication, they, all, they scream leftist. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. You get to be leftist, just be, admit it. Yep. It's one of my greatest frustrations is, um, you know, like I, I was being interviewed yesterday, and a charming young man, very nice, but we got into the discussion of, you know, where do you, where does your publication stand? And we're right down the middle, but every single question was yeah. social issues. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and where, why Republicans are wrong and this, that, going, and it's like just the nature of what you think is important to my voters is an example of you have no idea what you're doing. You basically come from this hard left vision of the world. That I guess they think is middle of the road. I guess that's the problem. The threshold um, has changed. It, it, they think I, they are the coin of the I realm. I disagree. Okay. Um, okay. My, my vision is yeah. they don't, in their entire circle of acquaintances, yeah. they don't have a libertarian friend. Right. They don't have a conservative friend. They don't have a mainstream Republican friend. None of those people exist mm-hmm. in their circle. So we're an oddity to them. Mm-hmm. And, and you actually see this. When you actually um, see surveys of New York intelligentsia and, and reporters and television personalities, those things, they don't have a single Republican friend. You just so think they would have learned by now. There's that famous no, 1972 line by Pauline Kael after the Nixon landslide when she said, I don't know how he won. I don't know anyone who voted for him. You know, that but, goes... but that's a brilliant, but that, but that intellectual ghetto, yeah. which is the best term I've ever heard for it, exist today even more so. So you think in a world where you have Twitter and all these social medias where you can see the broad spectrum of things, but that isn't what people do. No. You basically, here's the people that provide me reaffirmation of what I believe. This is my social network, and that's all I stay to. Do you have to run or do, or, or do you got another segment in? Yeah, no, up to no, you. I'm, I'm good timing-wise. Good, because I want to pick up, just to do one more thing on that point, which I think is really interesting, and then talk about this New York Times uh, editorial today sure. on the dead, if I can. David Schweikert is our guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Congressman David Schweikert representing the 1st Congressional District here in Arizona from Once We Broadcast uh, is our guest. David, one more thing before I talk to you about this New York Times editorial on the, on this I- issue of the media and um, and ideology and uh, the uh, – what was it? The intellectual or ideological ghetto? Is that the phrase you used? Yeah. You you were talking with a reporter yesterday who – or a journalist yesterday who was uh, clearly uh, uh, representing the left. And I notice more and more that almost – well, I, I'm trying to now think of an exception. Gavin Newsom might be the only one where liberal leftists do not do interviews with conservatives. And there's this odd thing that I think leftists by and large don't know what we believe don't know what we believe in, don't read or listen to us very much, whereas I think we do. Partly we have no choice because they're everywhere. I mean they own the realm. 
But partly I just think we're a little bit more intellectually curious. I don't know if you'd like to comment on any of that. Uh, look, it's there. Um, I do, you know, the scripts and uh, offer to do the CNN and this and that. Our bigger problem is, like, when we're set up to do one of their television interviews, um, they play games with us. Now, we still do them, Uh but here's the game. We'd like Congressman Schweikert to come talk about this portion of the Ways and Means, you know, debt, our investigation. And then two minutes before you go on, hey, they want to talk to you about why you're wanting to starve children. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's one of the reasons why so many Republicans basically say, screw it. Um, you know, there's, they sandbag you, I think is the term. Yep. Now, you know, I'm fine. I, 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 I spend, you know, a couple hours almost every night digging through parts of the budget to understand what's going on. And it's a mess. And yet we pitch the big liberal networks. The just, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say liberal, just the network. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, uh, lest you repeat yourself, you know, right? You know, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and when we say we want to talk about debt and spending, but they have no interest. Yeah. The comments I get back, particularly from like this um, CNN reporter, is, oh, our audience isn't interested in yeah. that. Yeah. So we get the New York Times today, an unsigned editorial, just uh, three sentences I want to read you from it. The talk about the debt is hard to take seriously from Republicans. They aren't concerned about it. Every time they have the opportunity, have had the opportunity in recent decades, they've passed tax cuts that force the government to borrow more money. They've already got a new tax cut package in their sights. And Democrats have grown wary of calls to curtail spending because predictions of dire consequences have not come to pass. You want to unload on any of that, David? Yeah, but if you go deeper into the editorial... They, they start to talk about the CBO. Um, yes, right. For anyone that's actually back to or being intellectually curious who's listening right now, go online. Congressional Budget Office just put out their long-term projections. Um, I believe they're wrong. I don't believe they go far enough, but they're terrifying. Mm-hmm. The numbers are horrific. And the, the, the simple driver here, it's very simple. Interest rates are up. Demographically, we got older. So we're spending stunning amounts of health care. And understand, this year we're going to, we will borrow about $1.8 trillion. Okay. Every dime of defense and every dime of discretionary spending, that's the State Department, that's the, you know, VA, that's, you know, uh, the, 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 the non-mandatory parts of the VA, um, the White House, the Supreme Court, all what we call discretionary, equals about $1.8 trillion. Think of that. All of government and all of defense, uh, we would have to borrow to pay for. One hundred percent is covered with debt. Okay. Okay. And that's sort of the point. Is Republicans? Uh, I disagree on the tax cut comment because yeah. if you actually look at the designs of the tax cut and the GDP growth and the growth, the wealth effects and the reduction of need for social services. Um, some parts of the tax reform were really effective. Some we didn't get the bang we wanted out of it because COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Um, God forbid. Could you imagine if we went into COVID without the tax reform? Without uh, I think that about it all the time. I think about how strong the economy was to sustain it the way it did. I think about that and, all and, the time. And it's really hard to get the left to intellectualize that. But what you're starting to find is if a leftist is going to talk about debt, 
there uh, there's an obligatory they have to take a swipe at Republicans wanting to energize the economy with tax reform. Um, it's almost like, okay, if I'm going to talk about debt, i got to beat up the Republicans first. Fine, let them do that, because the fact the New York Times now is finally saying, hey, you know, we really do have a problem here. Um, it, remember, we're eight and a half years away. Social Security Trust Fund is gone. Um, how many of you who are on Social Security are ready for a 25% cut in your check? The Medicare Trust Fund will be gone in about four or five years. The Highway Transportation Trust Fund is gone in four or five years. These are stunning amounts of money that we're burning through. Testing the thesis that you get told by the folks at CNN, which is that our audience isn't interested in it, and knowing, too, that you're kind of a unique congressman because you're known for being you know, the tip of the spear on these issues a little bit, what is your sense about most town hall meetings, either that you know of or that you've been witness to, about how serious people take this issue? Um, I mean, where does it, it rate with other things like, I don't know, immigration or, or something? Huh? I, I know I'm interrupting. No, it's all right. But, and I don't mean to. No, you get the you question. You take it. I, you think get about, it. I think about this all the time because I do this all the time. Right. It will break your heart. Yeah. Um, and part of it is I believe the political class has lied for so long, whether it be people on the left. You know, if we just raise taxes, well, that math is absurd. Look at the math. Mm -hmm. Only 2% of the population makes $400,000 and up. Mm -hmm. um, on the Republican side, it's waste and fraud and foreign aid. Okay. Every dime of foreign aid is like 12 days of borrowing. Mm -hmm. We borrow over $51,000 a second. A second. And it's hard when you're in an audience and you say 75% of all future debt from today forward is Medicare. The other 25% is if we backfill Social Security. And and yet you're looking at an audience like me who has gray hair, and we don't want to hear that. But the math always wins. And there becomes the problem of what happens when there's is the term cognitive distance, yeah. mm -hmm. where, oh, let's spend, the, let's spend this um, forum talking about white powder in the White House. Mm -hmm. Because that's interesting, it's shiny, it's... It's got you. It's easy to understand. Talking about, you know, um, you know, in ten years having to spend a couple trillion dollars a year just on interest, mm -hmm. no one knows what a trillion dollars is. Yet that is what will destroy every dime you have, your savings, and your kids and grandkids' future. I don't know if this has been proposed or if you'd like to, and we got to go in a couple seconds here. But I wonder if you know doing a couple town halls with a, with one of your opponents on the other side, or you know, uh, it, 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 and we, we've tried everything. Yeah. Um, in a couple of days, I'm going to do a colloquy okay. with a handful of members on the floor. Good, um, but we keep trying. Yeah, good, we'll keep at it, brother. And thanks for being with us as always. Bye, now. You betcha. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a delight. It's also a privilege and an honor to welcome back to the show our county attorney, Maricopa County Attorney Rachel Mitchell, tip of the spear of so many good things to keep our community safe. Rachel, welcome back to the show. It's a delight to have you, as I say. 
Thanks so much for having me, Seth. There's my favorite novels, The Great Gatsby. There's a wonderful line in there Nick Carraway uses. He says, I was amazed at the elaborateness of the lie, speaking about what one of the Buchanans said. I saw something Katie Hobbs did last week, and I was amazed at the audacity of the power grab. And this was removing from you and the fellow county attorneys entire uh, entire segment of law that you are charged to enforce. Can you talk about what her executive order did? It was executive order. This was not power handed to her via the legislature. And what your response was? Sure. Um, she issued executive order 2023-11. And what that did was it took uh, the jurisdiction – uh, or at least it purported to take the jurisdiction of handling abortion-related prosecutions away from the 15 elected county attorneys across the state and exclusively putting the jurisdiction with the Attorney General of Arizona, who, as you know, has already prejudged all of those cases. So basically Arizona legislature statutes of Arizona empower the county attorneys to enforce most of these kinds of laws, just like almost every other major crime we we might think of, right? Whether it's drug, whether it's breaking and entering, whether it's theft, it's that kind of thing. And and they have unilaterally decided, no, county attorneys aren't going to enforce this one. That's what they've done with no legislative action given to them to do so. Exactly. And, and you know, as, as you know, this is not the first time that this governor has engaged in that kind of overreach. Um, she has uh, attempted to put uh, the death penalty mm-hmm. on hold, mm-hmm. even though the, the uh, laws do not give her the authority to do that. And so, you know, she she's picking deliberately emotional topics. But, you know, let's not lose sight of the greater picture here which is this is a governor who is overreaching her authority and attempting to control all of the local prosecutions. And this, there's nothing to say that she can't do this on any single case with any single office. Um, if there was somebody being prosecuted that was a political enemy or a political friend, um, under her reading of the statute, it is unprecedented and it is extremely dangerous to the way that we conduct our system of government. government, Or any category of laws either, right? I mean, who's to, I, you, you spoke about this in a press conference last week. I liked it very much. I, I forget what your timeline was. I think you said, but think about what it might be for those of you who support this kind of power grab, what it might look like in three years if some other governor decides that he or she doesn't want to enforce another category of laws and takes it away from the county attorneys. It's not how we do it here. We vote for legislators who pass laws to be enforced or perhaps repealed, but legislatures do that. They make it into the Arizona statutes or they're taken out of them for you to do what you campaign on and for her to allow the constitutional and representative democratic process go forward. Yeah? Absolutely. That That is how we pass laws here. And for her to come in and with a single swipe of a pen to say, well, I'm, I'm changing the rules here. I don't want certain things prosecuted. And one of the things that I pointed out in my press conference is, you know, Radical approaches to criminal justice are not unheard of. Right. I mean, we look at the states where they're not prosecuting, you know, drug-related crimes or certain um, thefts below a certain amount. Right. And, you know, what happens in three and a half years when it's a different governor or this governor decides, yep. hey, I don't want to prosecute it? I want to 
take a this is a short segment. I want to keep you on if you have the time for a bit of a longer segment to talk about what your reaction has been, what the other county attorneys have said. And mm-hmm. just to give an audience a sense as I as I go into break, you can stay one more segment, right, Rachel? Yes. Yeah, great. Because uh, just to give an audience uh, a, a sense of the egregiousness of this, I think most of the audience here knows who Lori Roberts is, columnist for the Arizona Republic, not a conservative, not a Republican. Uh, and she wrote a column on this, and she says, and I'm quoting directly, Katie Hobbs seems to envision herself as a queen, one who with a stroke of her pen can gut laws and neuter other elected officials. That's what Rachel is fighting in this instance. Rachel uh, Mitchell is our guest. She is our county attorney here in Maricopa County, and she and I will come back in a few moments to talk about what she is doing to take back the power we all thought, not that she had, quite frankly, but that we had when we voted for our representatives to pass and repeal laws. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rachel Mitchell is our guest. She is the county attorney for Maricopa County Attorney. Some people think of them as district attorneys in other states. We call them county attorneys here. And we are talking about this. Uh, there's no other word I can think of that better sums it up than power grab or irrigation of power that Katie Hobbs, our governor, took from the county attorneys last week through executive order, through fiat, saying the county attorneys can no longer enforce an entire category of crime. Rachel, you had a great press conference on this last week, and you and several other county attorneys have gotten together, as I was mentioning before the break. Even Lori Roberts at the Arizona Republic said this is, in Katie Hobbs's case, the act of a queen, where she says the Republicans are right about the precedent here. Tell us, first of all, what you and the other county attorneys are saying and what you and the other county attorneys are doing. You know, I, I thought Lori Roberts uh, hit the nail on the head with her article this morning. Yeah. Um, and so what happened last week uh, or earlier this week is that of the 15 county attorneys across Arizona, 12 of us, including some Democrats, signed on to a letter um, basically offer, asking the um, governor to rescind her executive order, recognizing this as being a very, very dangerous precedent and unprecedented act by a governor. Mm -hmm. And Hobbs' response was? Well, uh, we did not get a formal communication at this point, uh, but I did see uh, that there was a response on, I believe, Twitter, um, that they don't have any intention of rescinding the order, which, you know, I, I don't consider to be lawful. So we'll we'll see if we get any formal communication, but that was what what I've seen so far. Lori Roberts writes from a liberal angle. I hope every liberal in the audience hears what Lori is saying. She's bigfooting Hobbs is bigfooting elected officials, telling them they can't enforce the law. If this stands, then what's next? Think about what a Republican governor may take away. In prosecution, there's an interesting angle. I don't know if a lot of people have thought this through yet, Rachel, which has mm-hmm. to do with the statute of limitations for a lot of these crimes. It doesn't quite sync up in a way that makes any sense whatsoever. If you think about what a seven-year standard statute of limitation for these crimes, 
Exactly. Uh, most felonies, uh, there are exceptions, of course, but most felonies in Arizona have a seven-year statute of limitations. Uh, the governor's uh, term of office is four years. So what happens if the office uh, changes to another governor um, in three and a half years who has a different feeling on this, and now they shift it back, and we still have a statute of limitations that's viable? Uh, and, and that's that's exactly why this kind of power grab should not happen. You know, America was founded on the rule of law. And people throw that term around like, you know, but I, I question whether everybody that uses it understands it. It means that we abide as a society by a set, set rules. And that means when laws are made, they're made by the legislature and they're signed by the governor. And that's how you get a law, or it's referred to the people, and the people vote on it. This is a situation where she has single-handedly decided, I don't want this law that was passed by a legislature, that was signed by a governor, that has been found constitutional. I don't want that enforced. So I'm, with a swipe of my pen, unilaterally going to do away with it. And the same thing that she did on the death penalty. She has authority for neither action. Yeah, I think it's not only a, vi- a violation of separation of powers. I think it's a violation of the entire edifice of representative democracy, where, as you put it, the people vote for laws. They expect if those laws or they vote for people who will pass laws, they expect those laws to be enforced. And what they don't expect is for a king or a queen to simply say, I don't like that law, so we're going to take away the authority to enforce them. Again, think this through. I think it's a violation of her oath to, uh, upon the state constitution to swear when she swears that the, that the laws will be faithfully executed under her office when she's yanking away laws she simply doesn't like. I mean, honestly, people could any governor could do this on any range of things. You said it's already the death penalty she doesn't like. She's taken she's arrogated power to herself and away from you on now on abortion laws. I mean, what about drugs? What about gangs? What about sex crimes? What about theft? I mean, what is the limiting principle here? There is none, which is, I think, what got Lori Roberts Irish up so much. I think that's exactly right. If there is no limiting principle here, given uh, Governor Hobbs' reading of this law. And, you know, we talk about we have a government of you know, laws, not of men. This is a government of men. It's one person's decision, one person's judgment. And what I would say to the people listening who find this topic to be very emotional and very personal, I get that. I I mean, we've had Dobbs for a year, and there has not been a single prosecution in Arizona. It is a greater principle of how laws should be passed in these United States and whether we should follow the rule of law or whether we should follow the dictate of somebody who is exceeding their authority. Yeah, I don't even know why we'd vote for state representatives anymore. We'll just vote for or state senators. I I just don't know why we'd vote for county attorneys. Just let the governor and the attorney. I mean, I really don't. There's no point to it. Exactly. And what I would say, I, I think your point is excellent to people who, you know, would favor what Governor Hobbs did is think about this being not a Democrat in the office, but a Republican in the office in their own will. And if you won't like it, then you shouldn't like it now. It's not the way we do business as Americans. Yeah, I don't think they are taking the long view on that. They cited, I think, might have been Chris Mays's, the attorney general's office. They cited one case from some years ago, I think you brought this up in your press conference too, that they used to justify their actions here. 
it wasn't about an entire category of laws. It was about a very specific individual prosecution that had a conflict of interest or something like that, yes? It was the, it was the Don Bowles case. It was the prosecution of John Harvey Adamson. It was uh, Governor Raul Castro um, took the suggestion of the then AG, Bruce Babbitt, to give the case to him to prosecute. This was in 1976. Okay. And it was because the the county attorney had made statements that caused a mistrial. So it was a specific situation um, that caused this to happen. And, and I mean, I get that, but that's not what's happened here. There's no, nobody is abusing anything here. Nobody's even filing these charges. It's a power grab. And it's, as I said in my press conference, it's really a solution in search of a problem because there have been no prosecutions. But it's going to create a huge problem if this isn't reversed. It's going to cause the very problems that you and Lori and I were outlining here today. And it's going to be a, a, a state not of, not of laws, not of representative democracy, but of men and women making individual unilateral decisions as to what laws they think the people had a right to pass or not. Yeah? Absolutely. And that's the big picture that people need to be worried about. Well, keep at it, Rachel Mitchell. Uh, we we, uh, we support you uh, just so much and think you're just doing a wonderful job. And uh, we've got your back because we know you have ours. Thank you, sister. All right. Thank you, Seth, for having me on. I appreciate it. You bet. Rachel Mitchell, Maricopa County attorney. Really quite an incredible, incredible power grab. It should concern everyone. We'll be right back. Folks, you think about all the problems. Now think economically. Uh, think about financially. Bank failures, stock market volatility, recession on the horizon, hardened inflation. Where do you go to invest? Why Refi has an answer. They have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to any of those indices, not the stock market, not the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you can turn your income on or off. Compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Why refi is based here locally, right at uh, the intersection of Scottsdale Road and the 101. I encourage you to stop by their offices. I've been there. No one's going to give you a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. As I say, you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. If, as um, Lori Roberts writes in her column about this power grab from Katie Hobbs and Chris Mays, our attorney general, uh, if, as Lori Roberts writes, they said um, pound sand to Rachel and the other county attorneys on this, uh, I, hope, uh, I hope folks understand what they thought they were getting with this moderate Democrat. Rachel's quite right. This goes directly to the heart of whether we are a government of laws or of men, men and women. That's a line, by the way, that comes from, uh, most people think comes from John Adams. Um, he was quoting an English political philosopher, lesser known 
amongst us these days, James Harrington. Uh, what Harrington said is, empire of laws, not of men, are according to ancient prudence. In contrast, modern prudence, he said, counsels that some man or some few men subject a city or a nation and rule it according to his or their private interests, which because the laws in such cases are made according to the interest of man or of some few families, may be said to be the empire of men and not of laws. Understand that's what's going on here. It's not a republican form of government. It's not a democracy. This is the act of an empire. The empire of laws is concerned, by the way, with right. The empire of men with power. Power. That's what this is about. Not right, but power. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.